Welcome to this episode of the Pop Trash Podcast. I'm Eric Griggs. And I'm Mike Jones. We're your hosts on this pop culture journey together, digging into camp, cult, and classic moments across history for discussion. Thanks for tuning in to listen. In our first season, we've been exploring pop culture Christmas moments. We've called it, We Wish You a Campy Christmas. This is our fourth and final episode in our inaugural short season. So I think today we need to add the phrase, and a sappy new year. Because for this episode, we're going to take a look at some bold, but maybe not so beautiful, pop culture predictions for 2022. Let's begin. Who would have thought that 2021 would have been the year of Gene Smart? Or that Simon Rex from MTV's The Grind would all of a sudden become a buzzy movie actor getting awards attention. Well, I guess anything's possible when it comes to pop culture. So today we're going to venture several guesses as to what delicious cultural nuggets from yesterday could, as Carly Simon might say, come around the bend. Each of us have picked things that we hope will be reborn in the pop culture landscape. So Mike, what do you have for us on your first prediction for 2022? So this year, I felt like Rita Moreno had a massive comeback. Makes sense. They did a reboot of West Side Story. She turned 90 years old. So I was thinking who from that era could potentially have a rebirth, come back and really be relevant in culture. And I'm landing on Jeannie herself, Barbara Eden. Oh, yes. Yes. So here's what's funny about Barbara Eden. A couple days ago, she was trending on Twitter. And normally when somebody is trending on Twitter and they are Barbara Eden's age, well, you generally know what happened. <laughs> <laughs> and so my heart kind of sank. I was like, oh my gosh, did we just lose Jeannie? But no, it turns out she was just trending because people were talking about her, wondering where she was at. But it prompted her to actually get back on Twitter, which she's very sporadic on. And she goes, was just told I am trending here on Twitter. I'm not entirely sure why, but all my love to so many of you who checked in to see that I'm okay. I'm fine. I hope everyone has a Merry Christmas. XOXO B. And it just got me thinking, Barbara Eden is 90 years old. Rita Moreno is 90 years old. Jeannie is some untapped potential, I think, for, for reboot. Um, she also went on to say later this week that they never did a Christmas episode of I Dream of Jeannie, so huh. could actually see something there. But I also could just see Barbara Eden kind of coming back as a beloved sitcom character from the past in some kind of manifestation now. She is so joyful. A few years ago, this is probably about five or six years ago, she was actually a contestant on Worst Cooks in America, the Celebrity Edition, and goes home relatively early in the season for making what looks like a cat food casserole that is made <laughs> with like tuna, curry, noodles, oh. and like peas in it. It is an abomination, but it is so fun watching Barbara Eden try to cook this. <laughs> Back to the all- bottle, Gene. Oh. <laughs> 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 but she was so like joyful on that. And it just got me thinking, we haven't heard from Barbara Eden in a while. Did you know that there were two reunion movies after I Dream of Jeannie ended? I Still Dream of Jeannie and 
I Dream of Genie 15 years later. Now, I don't know the math on it, but I'm sure if they did another one, it would be like, I still dream of Genie 45 to 50 years later. (laughs) It is that far back classic TV, but I suspect she was trending on Twitter because uh, I Dream of Genie, the complete series, just got a Blu-ray release. So all of the fans were probably rejoicing to be able to see um, Genie in high def. I could see Barbara Eden being on the next season of The Masked Singer. Oh my goodness. She definitely showed up on 70s variety shows. She was a featured guest with Cloris Leachman on Telly Savalas's variety show. Who loves you, baby? Barbara Eden, here's hoping you get 2022. All right, Eric, give us your first prediction for 2022. Okay, so we know that Paramount Plus has entered the streaming wars. They're competing with Hulu and Netflix, Disney Plus, all those guys. So sure, Paramount Plus has some RuPaul Drag Race shows, some new Star Treks, and all the old CBS catalog shows. But you know that they want to get in on that world-building franchise movie-making like Disney's Marvel, right? So I predict Paramount Presents... The Joan Crawford Cinematic Universe. (laughs) Ooh, you hear that, Iron Man? Watch out. Joan Crawford's (laughs) on her way. I can already see Betty Davis turning over in her grave and saying, I don't think so. (laughs) (laughs) To kick off the franchise is Mommy Dearest 2, Christina's Revenge, produced and directed by Michael Bay. (laughs) So, of course, Joan has been dead many years. So you might rightly ask, how will this be done? They'll obviously ABBA and Whitney Houston hologram the shit out of that. Just imagine the prequel of the series, episode one, The Pepsi Menace. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I can hear it already. I feel like I'm seeing deadline articles that will announce the casting of Livia Rodrigo as Mildred Pierce. Uh, (laughs) All right, I hear you on this. I think Joan Crawford is due for a cultural rebirth that doesn't focus on solely the rivalry between her and Betty Davis, but instead actually focuses on Joan Crawford much more holistically. Especially as we look around and all of these movie properties are treating villains with these redemptive stories like Cruella. She has a hero's journey, a hero's story. I'm here for it. You know, Joan has not had the most redemptive arc of late, usually popping up in pop culture as the evil rival to Betty Davis without much more nuance being given to her performances. This is good. I like this. You know, can it compete with Spider-Man? Sure. Why in the hell not? Like, <laughs> <laughs> in 2023, we can try Greta Garbo. <laughs> but I really do like this. And I do think uh, we are absolutely right for a reboot of what I think is one of Joan Crawford's best movies, Straight Jacket. Joan Crawford in a shattering screen portrayal. Listen to me! Leave me alone! Such a fun little horror, suspenseful, campy production to really sink your teeth in and enjoy. All right, so my second prediction is going to take us into game show territory. I love reboots of game shows. You've seen a bunch of them over the years from the match game to even name that tune. There's a new one coming out where LeVar Burton is going to bring back Trivial Pursuit. Should be kind of epic. I think we're due for a reboot of the late 1980s amazing game show, 
win, lose, or draw. Yes. Yes. I know you are a Burt Reynolds fan and will remember that the late 1980s version of that show had a set that was based off of Burt Reynolds's living room. So <laughs> yes. there's more to the story than that. The reason we are in this set, the reason this show looks the way it does is because Burt made up the game and we, we played it in his living room for years and years and years. And so we thought it'd be nice to just move the whole thing here. And Burt, I don't think uh, probably nobody knows the reason that you came across this game and the way we play it and so forth. Well, we started playing the game late in the 19th century. <laughs> and, uh, we've been playing the game for a long time. And uh, Fred Astaire, God bless his soul, used to come every week and play. And he wouldn't get up and do charades. So we tried to figure out a way to get him up. And the way to get him up, we found out was he would draw. And then one day, Merv Griffin told me how much money he made on Jeopardy. And I said, whoa. The hell? <laughs> but what I love about Win, Lose, or Draw is that it has a bunch of celebrities on it, usually has anywhere between two and four celebrities. And you have contestants drawing the most goofy things for attention. There were two versions of it that ran at the same time. There was one that ran during the day, Opposite Price is Right, hosted by Vicki Lawrence. And there was one that ran at night, hosted by Burt Convy. I don't know, I think it could work. Do you like Win, Lose, or Draw as a game show? Do you remember it from the 80s? Is it something that you think could land with an audience today? Well, I would have to say those are two different things. Do I like it and do I remember it? And would it land with audiences today? <laughs> <laughs> the Venn diagram sometimes does not overlap. But I will say I remember watching syndicated Win, Lose, or Draw. And, you know, the, the celebrities would come out and they'd have those crazy large-headed caricatures on the oversized tablet that looked like those drawings you get if you go to an amusement park and you have to sit in a chair for 10 minutes and pay somebody $10. I find it so interesting that Burt Reynolds was such a vehicle for win, lose, or draw <laughs> to begin with. That would be the equivalent today of Tom Cruise being like, right. hey, let's bring back sale of the century. It makes almost no sense but still really feels fun and interesting to me that by the late 80s, Burt Reynolds was maybe not starring in so many movies, but mm -hmm. deciding to produce game shows that lasted for years and years on network television. Now, it's funny, whenever I describe win, lose, or draw to someone who's not really familiar with it, their reaction is always this. Oh, so you mean Pictionary. Exactly right. <laughs> and... To be honest, they're probably right, but I still say, no, not at all. It was win, lose, or draw. Well, anyway, game show prediction for 2022 is that we find a way to reboot, whether you call it Pictionary or you call it win, lose, or draw, the concept of that show. I think it's a valid prediction because I watch regularly the new Supermarket Sweep with Leslie Jones, and I just enjoy it so much. It's on and it's off. I don't know if it's still on, but I was watching Card Sharks. I'm all for these rebooted game shows. Absolutely. Oh, there's tons of them. You know, I just think there's a real interesting audience for game shows right now. I also think they are probably cheap to produce during yes. a pandemic and easier to produce during a pandemic. So mm. wouldn't be surprised if we continue to see a game show renaissance. And if win, lose, or draw sneaks in there, I'm happy for it. Here is my next Pop Trash prediction for 2022. With the success of her new autobiography and the brilliant title, 
Apparently, there were complaints. I predict Sharon Gless will return to TV with Tyne Daly for a continuation of Cagney and Lacey. And so we know that there was a failed attempt to reboot it the last couple of years and kind of reimagine it for a contemporary audience. But that's not what we need or want. What we wanted to see is what happened after their series of TV movie reunions. And I suspect that they would be retired from the police force and their children are cops, but they get pulled into helping their grown-up kids on the force to solve crimes, a la Jessica Fletcher, who just happens to be in the right place at the right time. What do you think? Ooh, all right. So do we see this as a full-fledged series or do we see this as a series of TV movies? I mean, I could go either way. I suspect you're right that the TV movie route might be better, but I guess I don't know if folks today have watched many episodes of Cagney and Lacey. Our mothers definitely did. Yes. Uh, well, every mother that was, you know, alive between 19, what, 80 and 1988 yeah, probably yeah. watched a whole heavy amount of Cagney and Lacey. <laughs> I, I like it. I think it would be a nice compliment to all of the crime shows on now, which are all heavy, dreary, or they're, they're all contextualized like Chicago PD, Chicago mm-hmm. fire, Chicago Med or mm. New Orleans this or Miami that. So yeah. I could see Cagney and Lacey being a nice compliment in the sense that it's more levity about the partnership. And I actually think Sharon Glass and Tyne Daly are on good terms, which mm-hmm. is not something that always felt consistent throughout the series, but mm. in their sort of older years, they've not only like made amends, all that, that's probably too strong. I don't know that they were ever fighting, but there was always this competition between them because sure. they were always up for the same awards together and they were always kind of pitted together. And so I think now that they're much more removed from the original series and have this actual healthy relationship in reality, it would maybe come across, and I don't mean this as an insult, how the chemistry between Walter Matthau and Jack Lemmon worked in Mm. Grumpy Old Men. Mm -hmm. Imagine that as not grumpy old women, but seasoned old women in (laughs) Cagney and Lacey, the reboot. Even if it's not the two of them together as Cagney and Lacey, the chemistry between them is still so good that I could imagine you could put them in almost any scenario. And if we don't get this in 2022, I will have my newly released Trials of Rosie O'Neill DVD, the complete series. I am binging it right now. I know other people binge things like Game of Thrones, but I, every night, am staying up late for one more Rosie O'Neill. <laughs> have you seen the Trials of Rosie O'Neill, Mike? I have seen parts of the Trials of Rosie O'Neill enough to know that Sharon Gless starred in it in the early 90s mm-hmm. as a divorced lawyer who really hates her ex-husband. Mm-hmm. And that the theme song was sung by Melissa Manchester. And it was a CBS show, but lasted for a good year, year and a half. Oh, it's so good. Some people come up to me and say they, they, they love that show more than Cagney. But it was timely for women of that certain age whose husbands were leaving them. And that's what happened to her. So that way it wasn't as successful, but there are people who say they love that character more. But I think, I'm sure it was people who were going through what she was going through. You know, everyone likes to see themselves, I think. I love it so much. Well, look, hey, if it can't be Cagney and Lacey, I'm all for Rosie O'Neill 2.0. <laughs> so 
anybody who's watched Broadway over the last few years has seen just a plethora of music stars get their own musical, either autobiographical or just taking all of their music and turning them into a story. There's been Gloria Estefan, Cher, Tina Turner, Michael Jackson, Jimmy Buffett, I could go on Donna Summer. I could just go on and on about all of these stars who've had their music turned into a musical. And so my bold prediction in 2022 is that someone finally decides to take what I think are two of the most powerful vocals in music history and turn them into a musical. And that would be the vocals of Anne and Nancy Wilson of Heart that introduces a whole new generation to some of their stuff that's harder, like Barracuda or Magic Man, to some of their stuff that's softer, like Never or What About Love or my sentimental favorite, These Dreams. So what do you think? Could you see heart music being turned into Broadway show? I could. And this just tells me you sure know your heart with all those <laughs> uh, titles. It's like a greatest hits album. I, As you were saying the titles, I was like, oh, yes. Oh, yes. It, so that demonstrates they have so many songs that are out there in pop culture history that I didn't even remember. But once you said their name, it just kind of went into my brain and plucked those out. So I think with a little bit of reminding, people would go see a Broadway show that has heart. Exactly. But I also don't think it necessarily needs to be biographical. I mean, it could. Like a moving like, out jukebox kind of? Well, music? or like uh -huh. Alanis Morissette's Jagged Little Pill is a good example where they take all of her music, but it, uh -huh. the plot actually has nothing to do with Alanis Morissette. It has to do with opioid abuse and sexual assault and families kind of living together and figuring out what it means to just go through life together. The feel-good musical of the year. It yes. really, But no, you do walk out of that theater being really impressed at how they took Alanis Morissette music and made kind of a whole fictional world with it. And I think you could totally do that for heart. I mean, just the premise of these dreams. I mean, mm. it's a sad sort of song at its core, but most people remember it because they danced to it at their proms in 1988. And I just think there's some, there's like emotional sentiment, which I think could be really good. But I do have a question for you. If you were, if, if not heart, is there a musician or a band or an artist where you're looking at their body of work and you'd be like, yes, I could absolutely see them as a musical. Maybe not a musician, but I'd like to see a heart to heart musical. <laughs> <laughs> no, sorry, I had to get that heart joke in there, but I would say Anne Murray. <laughs> Anne Murray. <laughs> a very Canadian production. No, I say this because I was tempted, I haven't read it yet, but I was tempted by her biography. Apparently, it's scandalous. She was having an affair along with that light, soft rock pop sound. I think this could be something new and incredible for the Broadway stage. So what you're saying is Anne Murray has a message to Broadway and it's, you needed me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, if we're doing an Anne Murray musical, there's no way that thing is not called Snowbird. <laughs> that yeah, has to be the course. name of the musical. Yeah. yeah, it would. All right. Well, whether your heart is into a heart musical, I just think this trend of artists who have their work either turned into musicals that tell a life story or turned into sort of a fictional story that's played out on a Broadway stage, it's only going to continue. I think it's just a matter of time before somebody unlocks Hart's catalog and makes it a blockbuster show. Thank you for listening to our inaugural season of the Pop Trash podcast and for rocking around the Christmas tree 
or at least walking at a nice, brisk pace while we focused on some of our favorite treasures of Christmas nostalgia and pop culture. We'd love to hear from you if you liked the episodes from season one. So drop us a line over at poptrashmuseum.com, follow us for more, and comment on the episodes you heard. And stay tuned, because in a few weeks, we'll be back with season two, which will be dedicated to exploring some of the biggest box office disasters in movie history. Yes, as the ever-wonderful Rosalind Russell once said, flops are a part of life's menu, and I've never been a girl to miss out on any of the courses. Mm, Get hungry, because we'll be feasting on flops. Until then, have a great holiday, a happy new year, and stay camping.